as a conglomerate organization, as a as a house of Siemens, I think Siemens can draw from this this wealth of experience. Because the one thing that a lot of new world organizations certainly miss is, to put it shortly, customer empathy. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, uh, Human and AI, Mind, Machines, and the Gradient Descent. We're super happy that you tuned in again. It really means the world to us. We are Uli and Avery, and today our special guest is Elliot D'Souza. Hi, welcome. Eli, could you maybe quickly describe yourself, maybe in a minute? So who are you and what do you do? Sure. My name is Elliot D'Souza. I'm an HR track Siemens graduate program candidate with Siemens, currently based out of India. I'm currently working with the head of HR on strategic and analytic topics. By training, I'm an economist and a, a business graduate with a huge passion and uh, flair for data and technology. That's where my interest in AI comes from. As an individual, my hobbies include reading, music, doing Krav Maga and trekking. I'm a big fan of all things tech. Uh, love reading about the philosophy of AI. See huge potential for artificial intelligence in the space of human resources. Yeah, pretty awesome. So you said like you are big into music, uh, one of your passions. So uh, if you would, uh, you know, um, choose one song or, you know, one band that would, you know, represent your mood every, um, today or throughout the day, what would be the soundtrack of, of Ali uh, this day? Ah, well, the soundtrack for today would be <clears throat> a song called Azadia. Azadia, that's a Urdu word for freedoms. I think that's apt in a time like this where we're confined now for so many days. I guess my subconscious is telling me that I'm missing all of my freedoms. Thank right. you. And um, Ali, so what brought you to the field of HR you're currently working at? Interesting question. I never really set out to become an HR professional. As I mentioned by training, I'm an economist first. Uh, a quantitative one, uh, specifically, and then a management professional. The reason I was drawn to the field of human resources was because I actually believe that there is huge potential for data and technology in decision-making across the board in human resources. I think currently the state of penetration of data and technology is limited. And like with every other field, I think it's only set to increase. I think also more mature organizations increasingly focus on extracting maximum value and potential from their human capital. And so I think HR is the next frontier for AI. Yeah. So you said like, you know, at the moment, it's data is not yet there, right? Technology and data doesn't meet yet, wow. at least what I got out now from you. What hinders? What is the blocking point? Why do you see, you know that um, we are not there in, in terms of um, the usage of data in, in, in corporate functions, so it's a human resource. Correct. Well, I'd say we do a lot of reporting of data and human resources. A lot of data sets across large organizations, especially many variables for the employee base are captured. Very often, because there are so many variables and they are changing every minute, every second, 
it's hard to keep track of of the real-time sanctity or integrity of that data as it reflects the current situation. I think that's certainly one big challenge, the refresh rate of data, so to speak, and of its representation of the world as it exists or the world that it represents. But more importantly, I think one of the fundamental challenges that have hindered the penetration of data in human resources has simply been the lack of a, let me say, base competence to deal with data. Most HR professionals, you must understand, don't come from technological or quantitative backgrounds. Their bread and butter typically involves sometimes fuzzy notions of domain expertise, nurturing type functions, and stakeholder management. These are all functions that, so far at least, have been able to be delivered without reference to data. But there are also functions that have a high degree of speciousness when investigated more deeply because of the lack of a data basis. Increasingly, mm. that's coming to be understood. So you're speaking on the data literacy. Is that so? Means competence building, Correct. right? Um, and then opens up the momentum on upskilling. But um, you, you're also driving the SCP program, right? And from HR, obviously, also people analytics, but also people in terms of, you know, helping and supporting towards the transformation. Isn't that an Correct. almost not doable challenge, you know, to how do you make and enable intrinsic upskilling in such a, you know, what kind of best practice? Can you share that? What are these you know, activities you would say like, these are really mind-blowing or these are, you know, really inspirational for you You see in large organization. Yeah, that certainly is a challenge of the day, isn't it? One of the big challenges we face right now in the transformation of the HR function is to build these proto-competencies, uh, essentially this data literacy, among other things. Severaling it as an organization Certainly, we are moving or have already embarked in the direction of creating a learning world, which has recently been launched, actually has an algorithmic recommendation engine. Your function looks at your position in the organization, and if you've updated it, the tasks that you do, typically all of the things that you can get on your SOC or Siemens Organizational Cosmos profile, programs you can take to build key competencies that roles that you may be interested in would require in the future. This is a much more targeted way of delivering learning recommendations. Additionally, of course, it monitors the completion of these recommendations. We're already now seeing that learning is becoming an important metric for us worldwide. In fact, it's a commitment we've made to our shareholders to achieve a minimum number of average learning hours. And so the promotion of learning, both through targeted recommendations and through effective monitoring, will be one way in which we start to bridge the gap in data literacy. That's very interesting. Do you also feel like the professionals are really open to like learn new things about data and about the new technologies that are currently emerging, also such as AI? Certainly. I think most HR professionals are very open to data and AI, but their openness comes with a caveat. Uh, for most HR professionals, both of these words are buzzwords and very much positive buzzwords that are in vogue. I would say that they have a vague idea about their applications, but really not how it works. However, I think that this is 
what could be characterized as the early first phase in the adoption life cycle. And so it's okay to start here. I would say, like with other fields, the opportunities for the quants and the programmers to position themselves because they have the inherent competencies to help human resource professionals work with the data is really strong at this point. But in addition to their positivity and inclination, because of their vagueness about the concept and how it works, they also see high recalcitrance or resistance. Typically, because it's some very subconscious level, they sense that potentially displacing for them as professionals. So there's a mix of emotion. On the one hand, a lot of positivity, but the limited understanding with that positivity and the subconscious fear that one day AI could be powerful enough to displace what they currently do requires a very careful hand for how it is addressed with this set of professionals. Yeah. And I think that's that somehow, uh, you know, it's also as we see that data drives our decision making and every decision in, in corporates shall be data driven and at least augmented by data. Right. It also raises somehow the question, you know, um, when you can measure something, you can assign KPIs. When you have KPIs like key performance indicators into it, you want to optimize towards it. How far should we go in, in a corporate environment? We've seen tooling such as, you know, Microsoft Insights, you know, which measure the number of emails, the number of meetings, the number of indications, the amount of exchanges, the amount of, you know, we are living in a data-driven world where we not only on, on the uh, leisure side, like you, we, we sizing our, you know, number of steps done, accomplished, right? Number of runs, uh, number of heartbeats. We are KPIing our world world, right? Does that goes very, very close mm-hmm. to, you know, to human and this, especially in the field of people analytics of HR? You know, I think it's a great question. On the one hand, I think it's inevitable that we will move in the direction of data or even big data. Where we are today is a lot of human resource professionals, particularly seasoned human resource professionals that typically call the shots on data and other types of projects, saying to themselves that their intuition is sufficient, or at least believing this strongly at some fundamental level. But as my favorite philosopher and and psychologist Daniel Kahneman often says, uh, human intuition is unreliable because intuition is very often based on an individual set of experiences and replete with individual biases. And this has been proven time and time again. Now, where the stakes of human intuition driving decision-making are relatively low or can be offset through the individual intuitions of other stakeholders, it's okay to say that data is dispensable. But increasingly, I think, especially as we increasingly live in a world where even these organizations can be disrupted the ability to use data to predict, plan, forecast, and extract value to advance preparation of a world that is changing much faster than it is uh, will become part of key competitive advantage. And I think for that reason, more and more stakeholders or investors will demand that there be objectivity in decision-making around these value-maximizing decisions, at which point human intuition can no longer 
supplant or replace data. And as data models themselves tend to become demonstrably more reliable, I think we'll see more and more pressure from investors and outside stakeholders and maybe even senior inside stakeholders to use data to replace what is largely driven by human intuition today. Yeah, you're making a very interesting point. So like the unconscious bias that is like inherited maybe in every human could then maybe even made transparent through technology or by using AI. There was also that example of Amazon that tried out a recruiting engine, which then like disliked women. So by that, they uncovered that there was a bias and uh, could work on that. So do you see a great potential there? Absolutely. I think in many ways, um, data and, and AI and technology can call out the biases that are inherent in human systems, ecosystems, and decision-making patterns and behavior. You just took the example of Amazon and their CV screening. Similar examples exist at uh, illustrious institutions like Stanford, right, where there's evidence, at least partially, of bias towards certain communities or races of students. Of course, we have methods for doing that today in our, in our algorithms that learn from data. It's called supervised learning. And of course, we see these biases are quantifiable and can then be treated, which may not often be the case or even be conscious to mitigate some of the problems of human decision-making, including biases. Is AI then the problem or it's the solution? I see it as one of, a, of an array of solutions for dealing with essentially bias or flaws in human decision-making. And I say this also as, uh, as a professional in a field where typically veteran professionals often bask, if you will, in the surety of their uh, decision-making capability. We know from evidence And if you read the works, for instance, of Daniel Kahneman, that human intuition is unreliable. Um, it is replete with flaws and errors in decision-making, even after years and years of experience for the same types of decisions. And so I think what we need is an awakening as a species, as um, much more than as just a function or you know, a field of professionals that we are inherently limited, we are prone to errors, and data should then be seen as a solution to improve our, the, the experiences of humanity as, as a whole, as opposed to a threat to these experiences. But if we, if we put that much of trust in a technology, you know, to the people, right, What, what's mm -hmm. the role of corporate responsibility, right? What kind of challenges are leaders in corporates now posing if technology has such a close and profound impact on people and the interaction and uh, the decision-making? You know, what kind of top three competences you would, you know, put to the leaders of corporates uh, at most? Mm -hmm. Let me try and enumerate uh, one or two that are top of mind. 
Certainly, I think leaders are responsible for anticipating the desires or interests of their key stakeholders, important among which include a company's investors. My belief strongly is that as we move forward in the history of humanity, we will increasingly see pressure from corporate investors to take advantage of the white space and exploit the advantages, essentially, monetary and otherwise, of decisions that are today made very subjectively, but could be made more objective. These are increasingly going to become part of key corporate competitive advantage. We're already seeing the early movements in that direction. And I think as part of this anticipatory partnership, leaders should be able to understand that really data is a way to deliver what will increasingly come to become stronger and stronger expectations from their investors and other key stakeholders. I think that's the first important competence or sensitivity that I think leaders will need to build with respect to looking at data. I think the second important uh, competence is because leaders can, at least management leaders, can never be expected to be data experts or technological experts unless that is their primary domain. I think an openness to being consulted and in many ways even led by experts in data and technology is necessary because only when the recalcitrance or resistance to data as a solution to exploiting this white space is available can an organization then see data-based decision-making percolate lower and lower down the order. And finally, I think leaders must be sensitive to the human repercussions as data flows through an organization in the new world of data-based decision-making. It's not an event. It is a process of reaching that equilibrium where an organization can say, okay, we are a data-driven organization today. That is a process, not a singular event. And in the course of that process, there are going to be a lot of human anxieties, a lot of human pains, a lot of resistance to change and to adoption of data. I think that needs to be very deftly and delicately managed. On the one hand, there need to be made available opportunities to improve competence and literacy in data that ideally should be taken up by employees in the organization of their own volition, uh, but certainly also with adequate support and motivation from senior leadership to do so. And on the other hand, there need to be made available a range of mechanisms to help employees deal with all of the stresses in the meantime. So huge responsibility that leaders have to play in this direction. Yeah, and if you look on the world of talents, right, in the, in the field of AI, talent was uh, at least or is, is still perceived as a, you know, scarce, um, you, know, re, you know, a scarce talent pool, right? How do we make in mm -hmm. our transformation as a corporation, you know, towards being more digital, being more software, being more data-driven, being more towards AI first? What would you say people and talents mm -hmm. out there in the world, why do you should join our corporation? Right. And not, you know, the amount of, of different, you know, opportunities you may have in the business uh, consumer tech, let's say. Right. Mm -hmm. Why should talent 
stay here in, in, in the corporation uh, or join us? Any elevator pitch on that? <laughs> you know, I can't claim to represent the the employer value proposition of an organization as complex and vast as Siemens, but yeah. I will hearten to something that our, our current deputy CEO and soon-to-be CEO, Dr. Roland Bush, uh, recently said. You know, Siemens is in a unique position to be able to offer almost every solution across the value chain of industry. Whether that is in uh, conceiving a solution through consulting services, whether it is solutions through edge devices, whether it is in uh, understanding the hardware that those edge devices and application development software uh, needed to take advantage of these new ways of industry operations or industrial operations, I think Siemens has it all. Together, of course, with a sound understanding through decades of experience in the in what I will call the old world industries, large gas turbines, power distribution, generation systems, etc. As a conglomerate organization, as a as a house of Siemens, I think Siemens can draw from this this wealth of experience. Because the one thing that a lot of new world organizations certainly miss is, to put it shortly, customer empathy. They certainly are very adept at fancy solutions. They certainly are uh, have great user interfaces. They certainly are have, have large troves of data. But what they lack is the sense, the appreciation for the legacy challenges that continue to haunt, in many ways, militate against the adoptions of some of these new technologies. Now, Siemens has the best of both worlds. It understands these limitations. It, can, it has worked around them in the past, both in an analog and digital way. And it has the digital offerings that are needed by these industries to move into the new way of work. So if there's an organization that, it, that has a more reliable platform to help lead its clients across industries into the future, is Siemens. And for a professional that is primarily driven by that and wants to see companies that, it, that he or she consults successfully move in that direction, there's no better place to be than Siemens. Wow, that's a very good summary. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I have one last question. It's a little bit off topic maybe, but Currently, everyone is facing the corona crisis, and you are in India, which is a very huge country. Can you maybe say some sentences about how India is currently organizing to stay healthy and productive during these hard times? Great question. I think, uh, you know, we are a big country, certainly in terms of the number of people. It's 1.3 plus billion people in a subcontinent. And um, uh, it, India, in many ways, has its own challenges by virtue of not really having a lot of centralization. It really is a patchwork of different nations represented by different states uh, with varying levels of capacity and, you know, and, and organizational or governmental competence. So there is a challenge in organizing these different entities to come together on the same platform. So far, India has been quite responsive to the crisis. Yes, we did move a little late than was than would have been ideal to a total lockdown and to better screening of potentially infected citizens or, or travelers. But we have done so now. And I think all of the countries coming together in a really big way to volunteer their time, serve to, for instance, develop 
cheaper ventilators so that we're better prepared for the crisis or the number of infections, to support with meals for the millions and millions of urban migrant workers that are now trekking home in many cases, dozens if not hundreds of kilometers to the safety or social security of their villages, to offer help to uh, old and firm residents or neighbors who are stranded and do not have other family members, and also to pay, for instance, their domestic help uh, so that they can continue paying their rents and, uh, and the upkeep of their families, even if they're not coming to work or cannot work remotely. So in many ways, I think there is a, a national, a nationwide movement, largely citizen-driven, but also, of course, more ably led by both across states at the center to deal with this crisis. And although we are a large uh, number of people and potentially at higher risk than most of the rest of the world for being the next of this virus, um, I'm confident that we will see this through. Thanks for sharing. Unfortunately, we we come into to the end of our conversation, and we have to. And we we always um, have a, a small roundup as as we we have this game of we nominate one or two words uh, and phrases, and and the guest will finish up it this as a sentence, and maybe we we play it uh, like that. So um, we will say a couple of words, and you just finish it. So purpose sure. is to learn and be better every day. Business to okay, society is business to society is responsibility. I love the German word Verantwortung. I think it's excellent. And what's your personal moonshot? My personal moonshot would be to be a better professional every day that adds more value to others and myself. Ali, that's a fantastic closing uh, words from you. Thanks so much uh, for for this conversation and uh, for sharing um, your view uh, with us and, and the audience. Thank and you so much for there, the opportunity, guys. Um, so, guys out there, uh, stay tuned. There is much more to come as well. We we continue to stay bold, committed, and open-minded as we, we set it as an agenda for the, the Siemens AR Lab. Um, tune in for the next episode. 